Acts chapter 6 is a chapter that starts to talk about administration. The church, Jesus, when he was here, he didn't set up the administration of the church. He set examples. He did things and in turn he taught them what they needed to do. So the apostles were learning by the example that Jesus set. And the example that he set was one of love, compassion, ministry, praying for people, healing people, providing for these. You know, what's funny is that Jesus provided for thousands of people in two different events. He provided food for thousands. The apostles never did that. I often wondered, you know, because Jesus said, the works that I do, greater works than these shall ye do, for I go unto my Father. And they never fed, you know, thousands of people. So you wonder what Jesus really meant by that. Well, today we are sitting here in this room because of the ministry of the apostles. And so Jesus' work ended when he was resurrected, but he, it was carried on through those apostles, and the works are continuing until the end of time, until the end of the age, when Jesus returns and takes the throne. And so the church was growing rapidly during that time. Thousands of people were getting saved and um, the apostles were just doing what they were trained to do, minister to the people. They didn't have a worship team. You, you don't hear about a worship team in the Bible. You hear uh, at the Last Supper, they sang a song before they went up to the Garden of Gethsemane, but you don't hear about a regular that's something that the church added. We added music and worship to um, the traditional services. So there are a lot of things that we do that they weren't doing back then. Not that they're bad. Worship of the Lord should be a daily thing. It should be a regular thing even during the day. It should be over and over again. We can worship him in how we prepare food and eat food and, or how we socialize with friends, how we go shopping. We can worship him in how we drive. Oof. I know some of you are convicted right now. Me too. So the apostles, they were now challenged to come up with a way to address administration and how to handle these huge crowds that are forming. There was no method to create churches. There wasn't any example of that previously. It was Jesus going through the countryside, ministering to different places. People would come out and hear. They would get saved. They would get healed. And then they would go back to their homes and they would share what Jesus has done. That's what we're supposed to be doing today also. We're supposed to be sharing what Jesus has done in our hearts, in our lives, so that the world can also share in the joy and the peace we can have through Jesus Christ. Today, the message is titled, Assigning Church Administration. Sounds very formal. It sounds like a business meeting. Sounds like I'm going to start up Zoom and we're going to have a conference with others. But really, this is the early church figuring out the fundamentals of what they're going to do to establish an organization going forward. So, chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, that's key. Disciples, the number of disciples were not being added to, but multiplying, they 
There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Churches have problems. They're called people. And you see, people have a funny way of affecting or impacting a church. Everyone's different. And so fitting everyone together into a church, it's kind of like a family. Now, my family is such that we kind of don't fit. You know, even growing up, it was a challenge because my family is so different. Each of us have different backgrounds and different, you know, uh, uh, levels of education, different um, uh, careers. We have the same parents, but we all came out differently. And so you can see that that would happen even in a church like this. People bring baggage to the church. They bring their traditional um, religion to the church, or they bring other um, um, understandings of the Bible to the church. Quite often, they are things that aren't really biblical, but it's things that people are comfortable with because that it fits into their way of worshiping God. So here at Calvary, we use the Bible as our foundation. Scripture is what tells us how we should act, what we should do, when we should do it, and, and it's all based on Scripture. Our whole life should be based on the Word of God. It has the answers for everything in our life. If we're truly looking for answers, if we're looking for what makes us feel good or what makes, you know, what sounds good to us, uh, it's probably not going to fit perfectly into uh, our way of thinking. There are many churches out there, though, that will adapt to receive you and welcome you in any way you can be involved in any sin you want to be just you can go to them and they will be okay with it so that's particular church and that's why there are so many churches and so many different people going to so many different places but when you hear the word of god and it convicts you and it cuts to the heart you know that it's the word of God doing the work. It's not the pastor telling you you're not giving enough money. You know, we're going to have another offering today to make sure that you're getting your fair share in here. And, you know, we, we don't think that that's the right way of doing things. God is the one who convicts us through his Holy Spirit. He's the one that directs us in where we should be going. Here, the apostles are being led by the Holy Spirit, but they're trying to manage thousands of people, and there's only 12 of them. We came out of a church in California that had 8,000 people, and there were lots of staff, a lot more than 12, that managed that church, and they needed to be. But it wasn't just the staff that managed the church, it were all the volunteers. Cheryl was on staff, I was a volunteer, and there were hundreds of volunteers, and there were, you know, maybe 50 on staff there, something like that. Yes, 57. So, that's how a modern day church is run. Uh, but you takes hundreds of volunteers to run an operation like that. Here, these 12 guys were doing it all. And they had tens of thousands at this point. That's why it was multiplying. And they had many more people coming in. And here's the bad, bad thing. They were all new Christians. All new Christians. You know, see, here we have many variations of Christians, new Christians, uh, Christians that have been Christians all their lives, some that have been Christians for 10 years, and different variations, but we all make up the church, and we're, we're all here together, you know. Uh, then, it was all new Christians. 
and they were all bringing stuff in. Their baggage was being towed along with them. So here the problem was that the Hellenist um, uh, widows weren't being cared for as well as the Hebrew widows. Well, what was the difference between Hellenists? Who are these Hellenists? Well, Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. They didn't live in Jerusalem or Judea. They were from the outlying areas. They were probably there for Passover. And so they came in for Passover. The apostles came down from the upper room speaking in tongues. The next thing you know, people were getting saved. And they stayed because they were widows. They didn't have anywhere else to go. So they stayed with the people that were bringing them the good news. They got saved and now they're staying with them. Well, we talked about the fact that the church shared everything with everyone. And widows didn't have much to offer. But they weren't receiving what they should have been receiving. And this was brought to the apostles' uh, attention. They needed to address this. This is a problem that's still in the church today. There are many churches that are one racial group, one national group, one, you know, they are all this one group of people and they all are very common in what they believe and, and where they came from, their backgrounds and so on and so forth. That's not how the church is supposed to be. You see, Jesus came to die for everyone, every race, color, creed, everyone. And so we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are one nation. And it's not received well, even in the church today. There are many churches that are segregated in how uh, they act and what they do. And uh, they need to break out of that mold. And that's what the apostles were kind of dealing with here too. Because many of the early church were Jews. Okay, most were Jews. There were very few that were not. And so here the Hellenists were different than the Jews that were originally being saved there in Jerusalem. And they had to address these needs. Verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It's not that they were trying to shirk their duties, but what God gave them as their responsibility was to go and spread the word, to go and heal the sick, and to cast out demons, and to teach them. That's what Jesus did. Every time he went somewhere, he taught them the gospel. He brought them the good news. He told them, like the woman at the well. When he talked to the woman at the well, he was telling her about the Messiah and about living water. And, uh, and then he brought up the fact that, well, why don't you bring your husband? And she said, um, you know, I don't, I don't have a husband. You're right. Because you've had five, and the guy you're living with right now isn't your husband. Oh, she was an adulteress, and she was living in fornication, and so she was a sinner. And so Jesus did not throw her down the well. He didn't say, oh. You violated the unforgivable sin. I'm sorry, you're not qualified to enter into... No. He offered her living water before he told her that she was in sin. He offered her a way out before he even recognized that she was in sin. That's what the apostles were doing. They were going out and ministering to people that were sinners that needed the grace of God. They needed to be saved. And 
they were reaching multitudes of people because people want to be saved. People don't want to go to hell. And here they said, look, it's not desirable that we serve tables. We're supposed to be preaching the word. That's what they were told to do. Go and disciple people. Go and bring the word of God to them. That's what they were supposed to be doing. So they had to come up with a different plan because this wasn't working very well. There are many roles in the body of Christ. Many of us have, I'm a pastor, but I'm also the janitor. So, you know, don't worry, I washed my hands before I came up here and, and came in to greet all of you, but I do whatever is necessary to get things done. We're a small church, and so we do whatever it is needed to accomplish the things that God sets before us. We have people in here that are skilled at many different things, and they can bring their skills to the ministry so that we can help each other do what God has called us to do. These guys, the apostles, had a very specific ministry, but they felt that it wasn't going the way that it was supposed to be going because they were solving the problems of the multitudes that were coming out. There was another time that this was a problem. Moses, right? Moses had this problem. He was leading a million people through the wilderness. And his father-in-law, Jethro, comes along and says, what are you doing? You know, you, you are trying to solve all the problems on your own. In Exodus 18, in verse 17, his father-in-law comes to him and says, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. So Jethro, I, I find it interesting. He, his name is given to us once, Jethro. And then after that, he is called father-in-law, father-in-law. Fa Every time he's referenced, it talks about father-in-law. And I think that's kind of interesting because Moses really didn't have a father figure in his life when he was being raised up. You know, he, he didn't have that connection, that father figure. But here he has this father-in-law figure that gives him good advice that's there for him. And so he is connecting with Jethro and Jethro gives him this advice. He tells Moses, choose others, choose some other people, set someone over a thousand, then set another one over a hundred, then set another one over 50, even down to the tens. Set these people over your people. You have to think. If you have someone over the tens, well, most families had 10 in them. And so really what he was saying was, hey, you know, start at the household level and then you have someone over the 50s and that's like five households and that and then hundreds and more households and then over the thousand and by the time they get to you it's because they've gone through four different people to try to solve the problem and now it has to be brought to you so you're only going to get the very high level issues that are brought to you and in verse 23 in Exodus 18 Jethro says, if you do this thing and God so commands you, I love that. He said, and God so commands you. He, he, he placed a disclaimer on it. It has to be God commanding you to do this, not just me. I'm your father-in-law. But if God commands you to do this, then you will be able to endure. And all this people will also go to their place in peace. And so Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Great plan. Smart plan. 
get people in place that can deal with these things. And because they're dealing with them on a regular basis, they get better at it. So when I planted the church 11 years ago, I did things a little differently than I do today. That's because the only people when I planted were my wife and daughter. And so, you know, just talking to them was a little different than actually preaching to a crowd, preaching to different people. But over the course of time, the Holy Spirit moves in different ways to talk and reach to the people that come out in different ways. We had a complete, completely different flock five years ago. This flock is, there are some of you that have been here for more than five years, but five years ago, it was plenty different. And now it's changed uh, quite a bit. That's all God's doing. He knows who needs to be here and when they need to be here. And so we trust him with that part of it, but we still have to be doing our role. My role as pastor, I'm, we at Calvary Chapel have a Moses style of administration where I am the pastor making a lot of the decisions, but I also have a board that I go to and I consult with and we discuss things. They hold me accountable. And then as we make decisions, they're implemented uh, through other people. And so this is how a church works. It's by volunteers so that we can get the things done. But by volunteers, that means you guys get to participate too because you're part of the church. And so when there are things that need to be done, volunteers get involved. If you have, you know, the gift of cleaning, well, there's always something to clean. If you have the gift of cooking, there's always someone that needs to be fed. If you have whatever the gift is, it will be used eventually. We just wait for God to open up the doors to tell us when that gift is to be used. The apostles want to get back to their work. They don't want to be doing things that they weren't really gifted. Oh yeah, they can serve. They can help people like that. But that's not where their gift, and they were told by the Holy Spirit, this is what you should be doing. Verse 3, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's what they were supposed to be doing. Prayer and the ministry of the word. And there's a purpose for the order. Prayer is connecting with God. And then the ministry of the word goes out after prayer. You see, the ministry of the word can't be first. It has to be after God has given us wisdom, ministered to us to give out the word. This isn't just for pastors. This is for all of us. When we pray, it isn't just a wish list. We don't bring our Christmas list to God and say, okay, this is what I need, Lord. I'd like a new this and a new that. And, you know, and that person over there, you really need to change their heart because they are obnoxious. Have you ever prayed like that? Oh, I know you have. You know, you know, it's our first instinct is to solve someone else's problem, right? You know, obviously it's them, Lord, you know, you know me, so it must be them. And really, the Lord would rather hear a prayer about us. I don't know what it is, Lord. I don't know what I do to make that person so strange, but... If, if it's me, help me. Help me. I, I, I don't want to pray for anyone else to tell them, make them change. Help me. Help me accept them the way they are. There are some people that are just different. And so the best thing we can do 
is love them. And love will cover a multitude of sin and it will change not them, but us. It will change us. So here, I like the requirements they set out. They said, okay, a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and being wise. So it starts off with a good reputation. Okay, uh, uh, quite often, you know, if we, if we look at politics and think, okay, this is how we should pick our leaders, our political leaders. Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wise. So, how many of them qualify? Well, they start off maybe with a good reputation. That's how they got. But as soon as they put the campaign sign up, um, that ends. The reputation seems to go downhill real quick. There are some that are full of the Holy Spirit. There are some good Christian leaders that are in politics. But if there are only a few and everyone else is different, then they appear to be the outcasts. So it doesn't appear that they, but you know whose fault that is? Ours. That, these are the people we elect into office. And we want a good person, uh, but we choose what's presented to us sometimes and, and the options just aren't very good. If they have a good reputation, even if they didn't, weren't filled with the Holy Spirit, if they have a good reputation and are wise, then maybe, you know, it would be good for us. But really, the strength comes from the Holy Spirit. You know, and the ones that have the Holy... Now, that doesn't mean those that have the Holy Spirit always make the right decisions. They always do the right things. I know many Christians that have done stupid things. That have the Holy Spirit, but still did. You know, Paul complained about that. Man, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? And I don't do the things that I want to do. It's because it is thinking flesh. And he complained about that. If Paul complained about it, then we should relate to that. We should say, well, yeah, I can understand that. Because there are many times in my life where I do something I don't want to do. Uh, because I let my anger, my frustration, my bitterness, whatever it is, my pride get before the Holy Spirit. And then people see something else. They see, they don't see the Holy Spirit. They see Rick Ponzo. And that's, you know, not a good thing. Because the only good thing is the Holy Spirit that's in me. So they wanted to get down to picking people that are qualified because they have a good reputation because they're wise, but mostly because they have the Holy Spirit. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. The whole multitude said, yeah, that makes sense. We agree with that. We like that. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So immediately the first guy they pick was Stephen. He had this faith and he had the Holy Spirit. Then they picked Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Not like, you know, they, they laid hands on them and they prayed for them also. The saying pleased the people because we heard they were in one accord. They already had these relationships that they built and they were like-minded in what the Holy Spirit was doing amongst the church. They could have said, no, we want the apostles to take care of this, you know, and, and we don't want someone foreign. No, but... They knew it because they knew it was the will of God. The apostles took these men and they prayed for them. Who were these seven men? Well, we know four of them were Hellenists. 
the names kind of give them away. They were Greek names, at least four, possibly six. And the seventh was a proselyte, meaning he was a Gentile and he became a Jew. So these weren't all Jews. They weren't friends of the apostles that, you know, they had connections with. These were people that were common and they were known and they didn't show favoritism by picking these guys. You know, the problem started with the Hellenists and um, the Hebrews that the Hellenists weren't getting their fair share and there was a problem there. So they had to address that and here is the perfect way to address it. We're going to put them in charge. We're going to raise up men that are Hellenist to oversee these things. And that made perfect sense. Now you're showing I'm not playing favorites. I'm doing what's right by what God wants to do here within the church. And the church was unified. It, it pleased that. Now can you imagine all of these Jews were okay with this. The Jewish converts to Christianity, they were okay with this. And so that shows that the Holy Spirit was in this. It, it broke down those racial barriers that they had, those national barriers, and they got to the point where we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And we still are today. And there is not one Christian that is more important than another Christian. We don't have seats that are for certain people. Oh, I'm sorry, you're new to the church? Okay, well, you're going to have to sit in this row. This is the new people row. And uh, you know what? We're, we're all family when we come in here. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what you're here for. If you didn't know that, now you know. We're here to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it isn't that I have it and I'm going to give it to you. It's that Jesus has it. He's going to give it to you. You get to go right to the source. You don't have to go through me. I'm just here telling you about it so you know how to find it. Verse 7. Then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Here we are. They're multiplying even more now in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. The priests, the Jewish priests. There were 8,000 Jewish priests in Jerusalem. 8,000 of these priests. And many of them were getting saved and they were becoming Christians. Oh, that's not a little thing. That's a huge thing because they couldn't go back to what they were doing. They wouldn't be accepted back in the temple. They wouldn't be accepted by the religious rulers. Notice the religious rulers weren't getting saved. Oh, there were a few of them. Names, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. These were religious rulers within the system that got saved. They took the body of Jesus and they wrapped him, put him in a tomb. And then they became followers of Jesus, leaving behind the religious system Paul of, or Saul of Tarsus, he got saved on the way to Damascus. And so there were very few of these, but it says many of these priests were getting saved. You know who wasn't selected in this group of people to lead the, the, the people, the church there? The priests. 
the priests weren't selected. These were guys that knew the Old Testament. They knew uh, the writings of the Messiah. You would think, hey, these would be the perfect people qualified to lead in the church, right? Because, you know, they, they were familiar. And sometimes God doesn't want to use people that are familiar with the religious system. He wants to use outsiders. I was raised Catholic, and I walked away from the Catholic Church at an early age. I got saved, and I became a Christian, and I was probably six different shades of Christian before I found a Calvary Chapel. And so uh, there was a time where I was Pentecostal, I was charismatic, I was Baptist. I, I was all over the place, you know, learning about Christianity, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then I stumbled into a Calvary Chapel and I learned a word that I hadn't heard before, grace. And then I realized what I was missing as a Christian. I was missing the grace of God. And in receiving that, it changed everything. It changed my relationship with other people. Not that they became perfect, because none of us are, but it gave me more insight. So after I yelled at them, then I went home and said, oh, that was bad. And see, that's grace. I, I learned. I, I learned humility. Unfortunately, I didn't tell them that I learned it, but, you know, the, they got over it. These 8,000 um, priests, many of them got saved, and now they're just part of the church. They're not, you know, leaders in the church. They're not at the front of the church teaching. They're listening now. They're learning. They're growing. I don't know how God used them all, but we know that the Holy Spirit had to first do some work. And a lot of times in the church, when we have someone come in, hey, they have a gift. Oh, let's use that gift. Quick, quick, get them out here to use that gift. You know, and, and we put people in places and it hurts them and their spiritual walk walk, excuse me, and it hurts the church when you put someone in a place and then they fall or they struggle or they get prideful. And so it's a challenge. It's up to the Lord to raise people up and put them in positions. That's up to the Lord. And I leave that to the Holy Spirit and to the wisdom of some of the elders that I get together. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And we accomplish things based on what the Holy Spirit is doing. Because the Holy Spirit is not just going to tell me and not going to tell someone else. Right? Same Holy Spirit in each of us. And so if he tells me something, I'll, I won't tell the other person. I'll say, hey, let's pray about this. And then, it'll, yeah, I think we should do that. You know, okay, good, because that's what I thought. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen was no one. He wasn't a leader in the church up until they made him a, a leader in, in solving problems. But he did great signs and wonders. So it doesn't say that any of the other guys did great signs and wonders. It just says Stephen did. So what made him special? I believe what makes someone stand out like that is their relationship with the Lord. The closer they are with the Lord, the more they're going to stand out. So we can see that Sometimes the Lord gives us different gifts and, you know, I have different gifts than my wife. She has, if she can cook, I can eat. See how it fits together? <laughs> Isn't that great? It works really well. And, you know, she has the gift of joy. 
That's just something that, that she has. And not that I'm anti-joy, no. But um, it, it's, that's not one of my great gifts. But I have the Holy Spirit. And so I can share joyfully. Sometimes I just don't show a lot of emotion when doing it. But, um, you know, each of us have those gifts. There are some of you that have talents that God uses. But just because you have those talents doesn't mean God is going to use them in the ministry. It's still okay to be, you know, an accountant. You know, there's nothing wrong with being an accountant. But God may not use you as an accountant in the ministry. He may use you for some other purpose in the ministry. So we should never just rely on our, um, our skills to be what we are used for in the ministry. We should rely on what the Holy Spirit wants to use us for in the ministry. Stephen was told to go serve tables. You know what that means? He's interacting with all the people, the multitudes. He's interacting with them. Peter and John and all the guys, they're not interacting directly with all the people. Remember, the people were afraid of them and they weren't hanging out with the apostles. But Stephen, he was out there serving. And because he was serving, he was interacting with the people and the people got to know him and he saw opportunity to minister to the people. So he was doing signs and wonders. And that's for all of us in the church. Not just for me. I don't do, I'm not assigned to do signs and wonders. Everyone is. We are all able to be used by the, because, you know, have, have you ever heard someone say, oh, I have the gift of healing. Well, why aren't you in the hospital? That's where the sick people are. Go heal. You know, these, these faith healers are always in stadiums, never in hospitals. You know, you have to bring the sick to them. No, go to where the sick are and go heal them. But each of us have a gift that we can use to minister one to another. And whatever God wants to do, he can do because it's the same Holy Spirit. So if you want to lay your hands on someone and pray for them because they're not feeling well, you can do that and they can get better. I generally ask a few people to come along when someone's sick and come ask me for prayer. I ask for a few people to come along because I don't ever want to be attributed to me. Hey, I got better because pastor prayed for me. No, I want it to be, no, the group prayed because that's what we're supposed to do. Call the elders of the church, anoint them with oil and pray for them. And then God does the healing and we don't take credit for the work that God is doing. And Stephen is just doing amazing work and he's doing it because he had the opportunity to do it. Verse nine, and Stephen full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Syrians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. So here are some from synagogue, from Jews from a synagogue. Now these weren't the leaders. These were people that attended the synagogue and they were very legalistic. They came to him disputing with Stephen and they were not able to resist the wisdom. Remember that was one of the qualifications for someone to be in leadership, the wisdom and the spirit, other qualification, and by which he spoke. They couldn't resist the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is all of the wisdom all of the power of God. He is God. So he is able to go beyond what they are able to do. They're just human. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him and brought him to the council. They 
also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. So here's Stephen. He's arrested by these guys, brought before the council, just like Peter and John were when they were brought before the council and then beaten because of teaching in Jesus' name. And now Stephen is brought before the council because he's just sharing what God gave him to share. And they're all making accusations against him. And he's just sitting there and his face is shining like an angel. Why would a person's face shine like that of an angel? Well, because the angels are in the presence of God. And their face glows from being in the presence of God. And Stephen was in the presence of God. And here his face was shining. Uh, Moses had this problem too. Remember when he went up onto the mountain and spent 40 days up there and he received the tablets and, and when he came down, his face shone. And so he actually, uh, you know, put a veil over his face because he didn't want people to be looking at the shining and he didn't want people to see when the shining went away. Because then they would think, oh, that's just Moses. He's not glowing anymore. So obviously he doesn't have that power anymore. So he put a veil over his face when he would talk with the people. But here's Stephen. He's just glowing because he has spent so much time in the presence of the Lord. And that's how come he was able to do signs and wonders. The closer we are to Jesus, the more he will use us. Maybe our face won't change. Okay, maybe. You know, maybe our, our look doesn't change. Maybe people still won't like us. But you know what? The change is through the Holy Spirit. And the change may be what other people see that draw them to him. Not to us, to him. Because we never want to be the object of attention. We always want to be the conduit of the Holy Spirit to reach those around us so that they can have a relationship and a connection to him. When people start looking at us, then we've missed the boat. We've distracted people from seeing the truth. The truth is not us. It's who we're talking about who we're sharing about. That's Jesus. The closer we get to God, the more evident the change will be in our lives. You know, when people first become Christians, sometimes their lives get worse. They start to dislike who they are. Instead of saying, oh, I'm a Christian now, I'm better. I like who I am now compared to who I was. They actually feel worse about themselves. That's normal. Because as we spend time with Jesus, we realize how much we need him and how terrible we really are. And and how he sees us. You know, the only good thing that God sees in us is his son Jesus Christ in the form of the Holy Spirit. And when he sees us, he loves us. And it's because of him drawing us to him that we can have that relationship. We can experience that love and then we can share it with others. So if you wake up and you feel bad about yourself, um, don't. Be content with the Holy Spirit that's in you and allow him to make the changes that others will see. Don't worry about what other people see physically. 
but worry about what other people see spiritually in our lives. Sometimes we're so focused on the physical that we miss the spiritual. That's why the disciples wanted to get back to the work that they were supposed to be doing. Their primary job was spiritual, not physical. And they got other people to handle the physical things. As we as a church pray, as we encourage one another, as we are the members of the Lord, and we're used to accomplish his purposes on earth, as we do that, we function well together. And we are, have more impact in the world around us. But I ask that all of you continue to lift up the leadership in prayer. Because as we lead, as we are looking to do what God wants us to do, we can get distracted by what we want to do. We think that, oh, man, I, I need to do this because this is what the Lord is doing and I need to get involved in that. And we can be distracted. We don't want to be distracted. We want to keep our focus on the work of God, what he's doing. That's more important right now. When we saw what was going on in Ukraine, we knew we had to get involved. I talked to the board members and said, hey, what do you think? Do you think we should do this? Because, and if they didn't say yes, if we weren't unanimous on this, then we were going to wait until the Lord did open up another door, another place for us. But it was immediate. The Lord said, no, go and do this. We bought that vehicle and the next day the place that we bought it was destroyed by rocket fire and there were no more vehicles available. So that's just how God works. And I love to see his hand in all of the things that we're doing. Uh, but I know that there's more. So continue to keep us in prayer. Pray for each other that God may open up doors of opportunity for you to reach your sphere of influence, the people around you that need to hear the good news. Amen?